Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recording with the one and only Mr. Howard fucking Bloom on Thursday What's up, guys? It's Tommy from Tommy's Podcast. Do you have a podcast? Do you want it censored? Then go to YouTube. Go to Reddit. Go to iTunes. If you don't want it censored, go to Spotify or Rumble. But Spotify pays me more than Rumble, so I'm going to record this ad for them. You can upload it. Trust me. Whether you got a crappy podcast on a, on a MacBook above your parents' garage and it's echoing and everyone can hear the despair and desperation and every syllable you try to eke out without wanting to cry... Or whether your podcast starts to actually make a couple shekels and you got a cool apartment and an air conditioner that works most of the time. Use Spotify. Use Spotify for podcasters. Yeah, you'll start off getting a couple pennies, but I'm several years into it now and I've made, I don't know, I think about a thousand bucks. It's better than nothing. It's better than working at a liquor store with people you hate, with customers you hate, and a boss that hates you. So join Spotify for podcasters and you'll actually start making money. It's worked some it's worked for me. I'm really tired. March thirtieth, twenty twenty three at six twenty PM Eastern time. Guys, if you're watching on Rumble and you want to support the podcast, click that little red button that's called locals. You can go throw me a couple bucks a month, get some exclusive content, or use promo code Tommy. Or if you would rather, I reopen the uh the merch store and you guys can go get some original designs from me. Again, it all goes to funding the podcast, but enough about that. Howard's here. Uh, he is he is very patient as I was late, and um, but we were just talking about well, wrestling. and Tommy was very patient as I was late. No, sir, as I told you, this is my show, I own everything. The buck stops here. But we were, and I've been very open on the show about you know, in the past, but more specifically in the last couple of weeks, kind of crippling panic attacks. And Howard's been very helpful in our email exchanges about you know, basically how to how to live with them and how to navigate them. And you just brought up before we start recording your own theory on what stress feedback system. So let's just jump right into that. Howard. Okay. So here's the deal. In, in 1988, I came down with a weird, bizarre illness that no doctor could um, decipher. And the doctors couldn't give me a name for it. They didn't have anything to cure it. One of its manifestations in roughly the second year of the illness was extreme panic attacks. I had to stay away from everything the least bit stressful. So how do you occupy your mind when you're staying away from everything that is totally stressful? Um, you watch Golden Girls, um, which is about as you know light and soft and puffy as you can get on television. Uh, and you read absolutely totally harmless books that would bore the hell out of you under any other circumstances. But there was a problem. The, the problem with Golden Girls is Aristotelian plot structure, um, which means first you, I mean, Aristotle mapped this out. In a story, first you introduce the characters, 
then you introduce the problem, then you let the problem unroll, then you have the moment of crisis, and then you have the denouement where all the threads are wrapped up and you see everything from a slightly different point of view or sometimes a very big, bigly different point of view. Um, well, when I reached the crisis in a Golden Girls episode, it was too much for me. And I started having a panic attack. And panic attacks, if you have CFS, can set you back for three months. Just one silly little panic attack. It's a major deal. And um, I was so desperate that I picked up a, a book by James Thurber on dogs. Well, I love dogs. I just adore dogs. What could be? And Thurber is one of those boring writers in the history of the planet. So what could go wrong? So I was doing very well up to page 98. And then on page 98, in one tiny paragraph, there was a dog fight. And that hit the panic button and sent me reeling backward for months. So what did I discover? First of all, I had to feel my way through this thing. Um, I discovered something I'll never have time to write about, um, which is unfortunate. And it is the stress handling system. The stress handling system works like this. Imagine the um, odometer in your car and it has a green zone and it has a red zone. And presumably it works by having something that pushes on the needle when your RPM are too high, that shoves it over into the red zone, counterbalanced by something that shoves it over to the left, to the green zone. Well, it turns out you, you have exactly that kind of a system in the human body. And the it, it is a uh, an exciter, versus an inhibitor. And the exciter is called glutamate. And the inhibitor is called GABA. Um, and um, you can have panic attacks if you have too little GABA, the inhibitor, in the system. And that means the needle's no longer on a fine balance between GABA and glutamate. Instead, it's all the way over in the red zone where GABA would normally stop it from going. You can see the stress handling system in yourself. On those rare occasions when a totally unexpected loud bang occurs. Mm. And just watch the first second yeah. of your body's response. Your first response is panic. Your second response is figuring out what the source of the noise is. Once you've figured out what the source of the noise is, all of a sudden the needle goes from the red zone back in to the middle again. Your GABA system and your glutamate system are in balance. So I discovered the, the very first thing that had any impact for me um, on these panic attacks was Valium, which was far more profit, uh, um, popular and prevalent um, in the late 1980s and early 1990s than it is today. And when I looked at the mechanism through which Valium affects your body, it goes down to the GABA system. So if you have one of those incidents, like the one I had with that paragraph with the dogfight in a James Thurber absolutely boring book, um, that means that your GABA system has 
it's it's knocked out. But if you give it Valium, you shore it up so that you go back into the middle zone. Um, the second thing I discovered that was extremely helpful was oxytocin. Well, if you trace the chemical action of oxytocin, oxytocin is a hormone produced by your body that's associated with social socializing, friendship, trust, warm Bottling. and fuzzy things of that kind. So trace the path of the oxytocin and where does it ultimately go? To shore up the GABA system. And my ultimate weapon against chronic fatigue syndrome, what I believe got me out of bed more than anything else, although it's a combination of things that got me out of bed after 15 years stuck in a bedroom, is called gabapentin. And guess where gabapentin seems to go? To the GABA system. So I was stuck in a bedroom. I'd come up with this theory. Um, my mentor in neurobiology, um, Ted Coons, who discovered what the uh, hypothalamus does, um, came out to visit me, which he did on a fairly regular basis once I was capable of speaking. I went through five years not being able to talk or have another person in the room with me. Um, and I explained this hypothesis, the stress handling system, um, to him. And it made so much sense for him that he got a friend of his from Yale to come out to the house with him the next time so that I could explain this stress handling system. But there's no place I'm ever going to be able to write this up and no way I can test it because I have bigger fish to fry. I have the grand unified theory of everything in the universe, including sex violence and the human soul. But what I told Tommy is, get Valium, have Valium in the house. And there's a trick to the stress handling system. If you manage to catch a stress that's gonna just drive you absolutely bonkers, that's gonna incapacitate you totally, um, in the first 20 minutes after the stress happens, and you can get Valium into your system in that amount of time, whammo, you're not going to have a major incident. But if you don't catch it in the first 20 minutes, you're fried, mm. you're dead, you're a dodo. Um, yes. It's like having a fire extinguisher and being able to catch a fire when you're when you're if if like one of these sound tiles caught on fire and I shot it with a fire extinguisher, we're good. If I wait 20 minutes to where the top five floors of this apartment block are on fire, <laughs> I'm fucked. That fire extinguisher ain't doing shit. Right. And but it's a little bit more tricky than that. OK, because your your interior self has a tendency to say after you experience the shock, whatever it is. Um, the trigger, it has a tendency to say, ah, look how well I'm handling this. See, I'm much stronger than I was last week. Um, uh, I can take this on. And uh, if you are, are seduced and deceived by that voice of utter competency, you are screwed. Yeah. You are fried fish. It's, it's why I make my to-do list for tomorrow at the end of the day. Because if I can make a to-do list when I'm tired then I know I can do it the next day. If you wake up, have a cup of coffee, and make a to-do list, good luck. I'm going to fucking cure cancer today. No, you're well, not. There's another, there's another thing, because this is another, what what one of the people in the Howard Bloom Institute calls everyday rituals. Yeah. And I've developed a whole lot yeah. of them. You and I have um, talked about that before, the, the importance yeah. of them, of right. taking and it out one of the of them is, mental space. Why do you make out your to-do list at the end of the day? Because everything that you need to do is up and around in your head. 
It's like you're a juggler and you've gotten all these balls up in the air and they're still up in the air, even if you're tired. So you have to write that stuff down then because you are sure that the next morning you will remember it. No, you will have no clue. You will be a blank slate the next morning. And unless you have a to-do list to look at that you will compile the previous night, you're screwed. I I do have a little cheat for that. And, and we've talked about and I keep a notepad on my phone. I have my like, Im, like I have my, it's called, um, what's it called? It, not irreplaceable, untouchable. And that's like my daily to-do list. Like I do that every day. And then little other stuff it might be call Howard. It might be, I got to go get a new license. Those are the balls in the air. And if you're keeping right. them in the air, that's mental capacity. That's bandwidth that you are not yes, using exactly. to do other stuff. So what I'll exactly. do is I'll, I'll put them all down. But there's another trick I have. If I'm doing something where I can't necessarily pick up my phone and it's normally meditation and or this podcast, what I'll do is so like right next to the computer, I have these two little fiber cloths that I use to like right. screen. I always keep them folded. And if I really have an important note that comes up during a podcast, I'll pick up one of the fiber cloths and just move it over to the keyboard. And at the end of the show, I'll look at it and my OCD will say, why is that over? Oh, yeah, I got to do this. And then I'll add it to the. So if I'm meditating, I'm very OCD about how clean my room is. If I'm meditating and I have something pop into my head, but I don't want to break the meditation by pulling out my phone, I'll pick up one of my pills and just throw it. And right. I, after that, I, I'm, I get up after the meditation. I'll be like, why is why is that pillow over there? Right. I got I to gotta, I gotta call Howard, right? whatever it is. So right. Just little things. It's all about taking the take the ball out of the air and keep your mind clean and pure and, and ready to go so that you can take on, like you said, bigger fish to fry, higher right. order things. That's my own little my own little hack. So we were going to discuss grand theory you know, of uh, I, grand unified theory. Well, I go on the radio Wednesday night every week on 545 radio stations. And generally around six or seven o'clock at night, I do this at 106 in the morning, my host, George Nori, sends me my topic. And my task is twofold. It's to be one of the world's experts on the topic by the time 106 rolls around. And it's to see aspects of the topic no one else sees to surprise you. For example, last night, the topic was um, the head secretary of the Air Force um, said about China's rapid buildup, they're tripling the size of their nuclear force by 2035, that basically it was the most disturbing thing that he had seen in his career. And his career, he graduated from West Point in 1971. His oh, wow. career is longer than half a century. And this Chinese nuclear buildup is the most disturbing thing that he's ever seen. So I went to research that and I got the figures. It's uh, 1,500 uh, nuclear warheads that they're aiming for. America has close to 4,000. Um, Russia has over 5,000. So you'd wonder, well, then why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal for several reasons that nobody else is gonna tell you. First of all, there is an axis of evil. It's uh, uh, an alliance that does not announce itself, that stays very quiet. Um, and it includes China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Syria, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba. And it's, it's wooing others in Africa and in South America to join it. And in that club, the axis of evil 
there are about to be four nuclear powers, um, Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran, which has, um, it has refined uh, uranium, uranium up to 90% purity, which is just almost at the level you need for nuclear weapons. And in fact, 90% uranium has in the past been used for nuclear weapons. I think one of the bombs that was let off in Japan um, was a 90% purified uranium bomb. So that's more than just China's 1500 nukes that we're confronting. Second, we've been after something called hypersonic technology for a long time. And most of our tests have failed in hypersonic technology. But Russia and China have working hypersonic weapons. And a hypersonic weapon cannot be detected by any defensive system we have ever built because it travels at seven to nine times the speed of sound and it's maneuverable. It can fly very close to the ground so it can evade radar and it can zig and zag to avoid both detection and defenses. Um, in fact, Vladimir Putin has used several of these hypersonic weapons against small. Ukraine. Now, imagine hundreds of these with their design to carry nuclear warheads. And Vladimir Putin has notified us that if there were a nuclear war, we would be hit not by one nuclear bomb or three nuclear bombs. We'd be hit by hundreds the way that he has unleashed. 70 to 100 missiles and drones a day on the Ukraine. And all of this is part of China's vocabulary because they're bosom buddies with Russia. So here's what China could do. Some experts warn of a Chinese nuclear Pearl Harbor. And here's what the Chinese could do. We have 160,000 troops in the Pacific. They're in uh, Guam, the Philippines, Japan, and a bunch of other places. And if China took those out, um, all of them, we would not respond with a nuclear attack on Chinese cities. Why? Because our cities would still be intact and we wouldn't want to lose them. So, and China could do this in order to take Taiwan, to mm -hmm. neuter us, basically. China would want to do it for another reason. Um, at the end of uh, Xi Jinping's visit with Vladimir Putin, um, some ex within hours, some extremely important things happened. The two had um, declared eternal loyalty to each other, and uh, they'd made a great deal about discussing China's 12-point plan for peace in the Ukraine. It was all about peace. Well, if it was, all, if it was all about peace, why did two hours later Vladimir Putin launch an airstrike with 70 missiles and drones at the Ukraine? Because it wasn't all about peace. And why did something else happen that you will not see in any of the Western papers? Um, Xi Jinping, within hours, called for a meeting of the five Central Asian republics that were a part of the Soviet Union and that are a well-recognized part of Vladimir Putin's, Russia's sphere of influence. 
It called a meeting with them plus China without guess who? Russia. In other words, what was China saying? Russia, you used to be vassals, vassal states to mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin and his Russia. Well, the power shift, the power has changed. New boss. You're in charge now. You're now vassals of us, China. So what Xi Jinping was telegraphing is we are the superpower. Russia is Robin to our Batman. Um, it's a lesser power. Vladimir Putin is a vassal of guess who? Us in China. So all of this stuff I was extracting from the information that I was getting yesterday. But the big question is, okay, Bloom, you waste about a day and a, a work day and a half on this process every week. Um, is it really worth it when you're trying to get out a grand unified theory of everything in the universe plus including sex violence in the human soul before you croak? And you're about to be 80 in three months. Um, so your time is limited. Why should you be wasting your time on this stuff? Well, the Lucifer principle was in essence a whole new approach to political science. The existing approaches to political science from what little I can see don't work. They have very little to do with political science. But the Lucifer principle said there are three basic elements to the trinity of the Lucifer principle. Three basic elements to political, whatever you want to call it, political science. And those elements are the superorganism, the way that your body is a, a clump of 100 trillion cells um, that has an emergent identity that calls itself Tommy Kerrigan, um, the way that the 100 trillion bacteria in your gut are in colonies, each of which has up to 7 trillion cells, which is more cells than all the human beings who've ever existed in just one bacterial megalopolis all communicating, all processing information, and all helping, for the most part, helping you do things you can't do, like digest. Superorganism is something made of a ton of lesser parts, the way you are made of 100 trillion cells, and I am made of 100 trillion cells. Um, because we agglomerate like superorganisms, like an organism, um, in social groups. We agglomerate in cliques, we agglomerate in clans, we agglomerate in tribes, we agglomerate in nations, we agglomerate in civilizations. So that's rule number one, superorganism is the first in the trinity of the Lucifer principle. The second in the trinity of the Lucifer principle is ideas. These groups distinguish themselves from each other by having a different worldview. Now, the big question is what the hell is a worldview? Well, put me in a room with a MAGA Republican and our worldviews are radically different. Um, what looks wonderful to me looks like the essence of evil mm -hmm. to the MAGA person. Um, Russia has, um, Vladimir Putin says Russia has a unique civilization. What's he talking about? A unique worldview. And in that worldview, the battle in the Ukraine is God's own battle between good and evil. Well, that's a very different way of seeing things. I mean, when we see um, Vladimir Putin snatching 5,000 kids, 
taking them to Russia and trying to de-Ukrainize them, get rid of the Ukrainian language, get rid of their identification with Ukrainian culture. Um, we think that's bad. In fact, we think it's so bad that the International Criminal Court has declared Vladimir Putin a fugitive from justice because he has committed war crimes. But Russians see that as the ultimate kindness, mm. as taking these poor kids out of this war-torn country where they are at risk every minute of the day and giving them a home in the only civilization that's real. Um, the civilization of the Russian language, the civilization of Russian history, the whole deal, part of the Ruski mirror, the Russian world. Um, the Chinese view the world even differently than the Russians and very differently from us. Um, Deng, or, or Xi Jinping outlines 12 of the sins of the West, of Westernism. And he says, these are the essence of evil. These are the things we have to fight against, things like human rights. Well, we think human rights are a grand and glorious idealistic mission. Um, and they think it's the end of civilization, um, what we Westerners call human rights. Um, so different groups have radically different worldviews. And I'm still trying to figure out what are the characteristics of a worldview. For one thing, if you go back to the Lucifer Principle, Lucifer Principle talks about pictures of the invisible world. I mean, you go to your doctor and he gives you a blood test and he says, Tommy, you have high cholesterol levels. We're going to have to do something about that. So he gets you to change your diet. Um, and you change your diet. You go through this massive change because of the fear of cholesterol. Tommy, have you ever seen a cholesterol in your life? Neither have I. That is a picture of the invisible world. And we accept the doctor's picture of the invisible world because it's made tens of thousands of predictions over the centuries, and those predictions have come true, and it's proven its ability to lengthen human lifespans. Um, nonetheless, it's a picture of the invisible world, for God's sakes. Um, you go to, if you went in the 1930s up to the Arctic, and you asked uh, an Eskimo why his uh, igloo is so astonishingly effective at keeping him and his wife warm um, during the worst of winters, when it's minus 30 degrees out, he will tell you it all has to do with the spirits. So we mm -hmm. build the different details of the structure in order to satisfy the spirits correctly. That's one picture of the invisible world. Well, the Westerner who's being told this, he has a different picture of the invisible world. He looks at atmosphere, atmospheric pressure, the difference in pressure between warm air and cold air. Um, he looks at fluid dynamics um, and, and he's sure he's got a handle on this while the Eskimo doesn't. Well, if the Eskimo doesn't have a handle with his picture of spirits, how the hell did he build such an effective Eskimo? I mean, such an effective igloo. So we all operate on pictures of the invisible world that are with us every day. Tommy, right now, there is a Star Spangled Banner behind your head. You know it's there, right? Well, let me tell you something. It's not. You can't see it. You cannot see it. This is a belief on your part hmm. that this thing exists behind you. I'm accepting um, the, only, I'm accepting yeah, the message the photons are telling me. 
Right. It's only a belief. And, and even the photons. You've never seen a photon. Not that I know. I've never seen a photon. Um, that's another picture of the invisible world. So different social groups have different pictures of the invisible world. They have different what the Germans call Weltanschauungs worldviews. Um, and one of the most important aspects of that worldview is it pinpoints who you have permission to hate. Okay. You bring a social group together by telling it who its enemy is. Um, for example, the hippies in the 60s, a movement that I accidentally helped found. Um, our enemy was the establishment. But what did that really mean? Our parents' generation is what it meant. But the group cohered around a common enemy. Mm -hmm. um, the Russians cohere around a common enemy, us. Because we represent all these liberal, they call them liberal values. Um, and those are the destruction of civilization. How can you tell? Because they're even uh, transgendering uh, seven-year-old and eight-year-old kids. And this is a crime against God himself. That's what they believe. This is the ultimate sign of America's collapse as a civilization, of its nature as a cesspool of evils. So, and, and the uh, third element um, is, wait, what is the third element? Oh, the packing order. Hierarchy. Um, you know, in, in uh, roughly 1905, a little kid named Torleif Sheldrup Ebb had parents who were very, very successful sculptors and very wealthy. So they had a summer home in the country. And the summer home included a flock of chickens in the backyard. And Sheldrup Ebb, at the age of six, began observing these chickens. And he began to see some unusual patterns. And when he was roughly nine, he started keeping a notebook of everything that the chickens did. And what Sheldrup Ebb saw was that um, when it came time for feeding, chicken number one went to the feeding trough, all the other chickens waited. Um, then she stepped back after filling herself and chicken number two stepped in and all the chickens waited. Then chicken number three stepped in. Um, and this feeding order, who got to eat first, was correlated with something rather vicious. Um, chicken number one could pack any other chicken in the flock. Chicken number two could pack any other chicken in the flock with the exception of chicken number one. Chicken number three could pack any chicken in the flock with the exception of chicken number one and chicken number two. And he called this, Sheldrabeb called this, a uh, dominance hierarchy, and he also called it a peck order. And we've had the term pecking order ever since. I mean, he turned this into his graduate thesis, um, this work. And it's been tremendously influential in the behavioral and evolutionary sciences. Well, where do we see pecking orders at work? When a clique forms, there's some guy or woman who leads it. Um, he or she has her second in commands or lieutenants. Then there's everybody else. Then there's the runt of the litter, the one chicken that everybody else can peck. Um, the, the nerd at the bottom of the pile. Um, then subcultures compete to be number one. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, ultimately, the subculture that can take over the White House and the Congress is the subculture that becomes the eyes and ears of its society. And its worldview becomes the worldview we all have to pay attention to. Hmm. For example, when Donald Trump was in the White House. And now if he succeeds, you know, people said um, on January 6th, this is dress rehearsal. Hmm. This is dress rehearsal for the next one. And they've forgotten they said that, which is horrible because it's true. Donald Trump is looking for a bigger uprising this time. That's why he did his first campaign rally at Ruby Ridge because Uh, all Waco, Waco in Waco. Yeah which is near whatever it is. At any rate, it's it's near the Branch Davidian compound. And weird, that, weird, weird look. But that's we- a sacred <laughs> space to the militia movement. And there are dozens and dozens of militia militias that are highly trained for war, that have been aching for a civil war, that have been aching for a race war that would allow them to throw blacks out of North America. And those are the people that Donald Trump has been appealing to. And then there's his intermediary, Roger Stone, who connects him with these groups. So, yes, Donald Trump is going to go, if he can't get his way, for a much bigger insurrection next time. Um, But it's all based on his MAGA view. Well, his MAGA view of the world is that I am everything that God ever sent to mankind. I alone can fix it. I alone am smart enough to understand how to deal with it. Um, And Donald Trump has been gifted by QAnon with additional layers of saviorhood. That's why Donald Trump was able to say bald-facedly a few weeks ago, I am your redemption. Um, I am... Where did he... He said this in a rally. No, he said it at CPAC. Okay. He said, I am your vengeance. I am your redemption. He said everything, but I am your savior. Okay. Um, He had a bunch of other phrases in there. But in essence, he said, I am your savior. And the QAnon movement, starting about three years ago, treated Donald Trump as a savior the only one who could save us from the globalist conspiracy that has sex with children and then sacrifices them and eats them. Yeah. Full on. Yeah. Full on modern day as techie. And it's uh, as Tim Dillon said, sorry to interrupt as the comedian Tim Dillon said, 
isn't it bad enough they're fucking the kids? Why do we have to throw on another level of, and then <laughs> and then they're eating them? Shouldn't we be concerned about? Sorry, keep going, Howard. Right. At any rate, the point is so obviously the QAnon movement succeeded because it pointed a finger at who you have permission to hate, and there uh-huh. is a hormonal element to permission to hate. We humans are built so that when we direct righteous anger at a target, justified anger at a target, socially justified anger, um, we get a spike of dopamine. Okay. Dopamine is the cocaine and amphetamine drug in our system. So if a political leader can direct the righteous indignation of all of us against a specific target, Vladimir Putin's my favorite target for righteous indignation. I think he's a monster on the face of the earth. Um, Then we get dopamine. And we get a a picture of the world that works, a picture of the world that glues our our social group together and gives it an identity. Because often we define our group by who we hate. Hmm. So the question is, does any of this have to do with a grand unified theory of everything in the universe, including sex violence and the human soul? And I wanted to discuss that with you today because it's a problem I've been pondering. And yes, it is described and defined in the Lucifer principle, in those three Luciferian elements of the trinity of the Lucifer principle, the holy trinity of the Lucifer principle, superorganisms. Um, Common enemy or worldview with common enemy and then- Well, yes, the, the ideas. And- um, I can never rattle them all off at once. Um, and the, oh, and the pecking order. Pecking order. So it all fits. I There's... get more and more information, and all the information backs up what's in that book. And then the second book, Global Brain, My says that every society, even a clique, um, is a learning machine, an adaptation engine. Um, and learning machines called more formally complex adaptive systems work on the following five principles conformity enforcement um, to get us all on the same page diversity generation um, uh, resource shifters in other words to the man or woman who manages to rise to leadership in the group goes everything influence love and physical goods. Those that's resources. will be given all, or was it given more? Yeah, to he who hath it shall be given from he who hath not, even what he hath shall be taken away. Right. And the fourth element is inner judges, because it isn't just the social group that will glower at you um, if you demonstrate that you just can't get a handle on anything, that you're a total doofus in every single area. Um, It isn't just your crowd of friends who will despise you. It's your biology that will despise you. Your biology is built with self-destruct mechanisms. Cells are built with what are called apoptotic mechanisms. And they're little mechanisms that cause the cell to commit suicide. And (laughs) they're the default mode in a cell. So there has to be an active, remember the inhibitor and the uh, exciter in your stress handling system? Exactly. Water break. There has to be an inhibitor to keep the apoptotic mechanism from going off. 
and that inhibitor generally functions when it senses that other cells need it and want it, um, which is the oxytocin we were talking about before in humans. That's an oxytocin experience. But at any rate, uh, and the fifth element is intergroup tournaments. So what am I talking about when I'm talking about China, Russia, Iran, the well, United States, could you repeat and NATO? The, could you repeat the fifth the fifth one? The fifth one is intergroup tournaments. Intergroup tournament. Okay, sorry. Battles between groups for position in a pecking order of groups. And that's what's going on right now. That's what happened when Xi Jinping went to visit Vladimir Putin. And everybody thought, oh, he's paying homage to Vladimir Putin. No, it was the other way around. He was getting Vladimir Putin to bow to him. Um, that's the, that is the packing order at work. That's the um, intergroup tournaments at work. China's one group trying to rise in a packing order. Its immediate packing order is its allies, the axis of evil. And then there's the global packing order. And China has talked about taking over as the hegemon, as the leader in a new world order. It started talking about this about 15 years ago. And all of the elements are described in terms of the five rules of a complex adaptive system and the holy trinity of the Lucifer principle. So does this work in any way relate to my grand unified theory? Well, Tommy, until we started talking a few minutes ago, I hadn't figured that out or I had never articulated it um, before. And yes, it absolutely does fit. So there you have it. That's that was my question to myself. And that's my answer. In terms of tying in your books, <clears throat> there's also a there's also a little hint of um, uh, the Muhammad Code. Right? Yes, because um Ruth Benedict was a very famous anthropologist for a long time in the 1900 in, in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, and she wrote a book called Patterns of Culture. And in Patterns of Culture, she said there is a rainbow, basically, of human emotional possibility. And each tribe picks its spot on that rainbow of human emotional possibility and then builds a culture around it. What she didn't say was something that one of the early evolutionary biologists said, which is the founder effect. If you've got a powerful founder who founds a new culture, that new culture tends to be built on his model. And I say his, not because I'm excluding women, but because in nature, women have been, or in history, women have been excluded from this kind of uh, charismatic leadership role. Um, and so in Muhammad's case, um, Muhammad, um, he, he hated humor because when he was a kid, his, his father died before he was born. His mother died just a few years after he was born. He was an orphan. And I would imagine that as an orphan, he was made fun of a lot. So when there was humor, it was the humor of kids who were in tight with the social group, laughing at him, an outsider. He was grim. He loved killing. He loved one day he had, uh, well, one month he had besieged a 
um, a Jewish suburb because he was in initially started in Mecca, which was a trading town. The woman who asked him to marry her when he was 25 and she was 45 was the wealthiest woman in Mecca. Why? She ran the caravan transport, the camel transport operations. And those operations were huge out of Mecca. But eventually, um, Muhammad became convinced that the Meccans were trying to kill him. So he fled one night. Um, and he fled to a town he felt would accept him because they had listened when he was preaching and when they were visiting Mecca. And it was Medina. Well, guess what? And this is suppressed in most of the Islamic literature. Um, Medina was a Jewish village. Um, so when Muhammad, Muhammad uh, was engaged in something called the Battle of the Trench, it was a long siege against the Meccans. And in it, everybody, everybody quit when they were finally reaching the point of starvation. And when a huge storm came that blew away the tents of the Meccans, and they finally said, I've had enough of this and kicked their camels into an upright position and, and turned tail. Well, Muhammad and his group had outlasted the Meccans. Great. But when you win a battle of that kind, what do you get in the way of glory? What do you get in the way of loot, which was always extremely important to Muhammad and to his culture building enterprise? Nothing. So when Muhammad's troops and he went home, the angel Gabriel came to him and said, don't even wash up. Get your armor back on immediately and go to this Jewish suburb um, and lay siege to the Jews. Well, why would you do that when you just had a profitless battle, a battle without loot? Well, Jews have always been regarded as a source of loot. Um, so enough. he besieged this village that had done nothing to him. He came up with some imaginary excuses um, and until they finally gave up. And then, remember, the theme here is a Muhammad loved killing. So then he had every single man and every single boy old enough to have pubic hair uh, taken out, taken away from their families. And he sat in the village square um, while one by one his men beheaded every single one of these 700 Jewish males. And then they took the women as sex slaves. Um, that was typical for Muhammad. He was a grim man. Um, one of his uh, allies had to come to him at one point when he wanted to kill a whole bunch of Jews and said, you can't do this. And he took such a strong stance that even Muhammad had to back down. That was the only reason he didn't kill every Jew in sight that day. And it says in the holy books of um, the Hadith, which are the sayings of Muhammad, um, the day of judgment shall not come until every stone and tree stands up and says, there is a Jew behind me, kill him. So for one thing, Jews were on the bottom of the pecking order, just like the chicken that's the runt of the litter that everybody can peck on, but who's not allowed to peck on anybody else, and who ends up featherless and bedraggled. Um, the Jews tended to be used for that through the last 2,200 years of human history. Um, so the pecking order is at work there. 
But Mohammed's grim, humorless, severe, murder-oriented mentality became the template for the founder effect of Islam. And Islam now claims to have 1.8 billion people. It's the second biggest religion on earth. Um, and just as Ruth Benedict says, it has picked a narrow slot on that spectrum of human possibilities, grimness, harshness, murderousness, and it has stuck with it um, for the last 1400 years. So the only person, the only two people in the last hundred years that I've seen who have this kind of charismatic potential to have a founder effect impact have been Adolf Hitler, who thank God was defeated, and his disciple, um, Donald Trump. Hmm. And why do I say his disciple? I probably told you this story before. I have a friend who was close friends with Ivana Trump, um, Donald's first wife. And uh, she said, you all think that Donald doesn't read, but you're wrong. You think he doesn't read books. Well, he keeps two books by his bedside. And he reads a portion from one of those books every night before he goes to sleep. And the two books are Hitler's Mein Kampf and Hitler's collection of speeches called something like How We Will Change the World. Um, so when Donald Trump stresses rallies, that was a very effective tool for Adolf Hitler, and he learned it from Adolf Hitler. When he tries to make his messages as simple as possible, like stop the steal, that's real simple. That is out of Adolf Hitler's propaganda playbook. And in, in um, Adolf Hitler's propaganda playbook was the idea of the big lie. If you come up with a lie mm -hmm. so outrageous that it defies belief and you repeat it, over and over and over and over again with conviction, your lie becomes the truth. Well, it's actually, isn't it? And also uh, the bigger, the better. Yeah. So um, one of the things that Donald Trump is doing is what, um, uh, what's his name? The guy who put Apple on the map, Steve Jobs. Yeah. So in the leading biography of Steve Jobs, um, people around Steve Jobs talk about his ability to create a reality, reality distortion or, field. Yeah, exactly. Reality distortion field. Well, that's what a charismatic leader does because he imposes a whole new Weltanschauung, a whole new way of looking at the world with whole new pictures of the invisible world um, on his followers. And then his followers take the stamp of his character and personality. We used to have a story um, that was related to what we felt was a primary character of our presidents. The story was about our first president, George Washington. And it said that George Washington one day chopped up a young cherry tree. And his father came to him and said, did you chop that tree? And George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I chopped that cherry tree. Remember that story? Mm -hmm. It's disappeared from the American vocabulary since 2015. Why? Because it's been replaced by a man who tells literally 11 to 17 lies a day. Um, there's an old saying. How can you tell if fill in the blank is lying? His mouth is open. Yeah. 
And that applies to Donald Trump. Everything he says has to be fact-checked because he's creating a reality distortion field, because he's creating a new bubble, a new Weltanschauung, a new way of looking at the world um, that his followers um, regard as their culture. And it does tell you who to hate and who to admire. Who to admire is, of course, Donald Trump, the only manifestation of purity that God has ever sent to this earth. Donald doesn't speak in those terms, but that's what he means. Um, and, and the only one who can save you from the deep state and the globalists. And it pinpoints people you can hate. The globalists, the elites, the deep state, the Mexicans. The first thing that Donald Trump did when he came down that golden staircase at Trump Tower to with his wife projecting her breasts ahead of her, um, all as symbols um, of his coming down from the heights to be with the ordinary people. And uh, the first thing he said was, um, Mexicans are rapists and murderers. He gave you permission to hate from the get-go. And remember, what does permission to hate do for you? It gooses your dopamine. Gotcha. So now Donald Trump is talking about he wants war plans for making war on Mexico or in Mexico, whichever you want to see it. Um, for making war against the cartels, but it's been expressed more as making war on Mexico. Um, so he's a dangerous piece of uh, filth, and um, he's got to be stopped from attaining the next presidency because he's going to claim that he won the election, no matter what the vote count is. So, and more people are going to believe him because he's had more time to spell to to spread these lies. And uh, as the recent revelations of um, material from Rupert Murdoch and internal Fox communications shows, um, Rupert Murdoch said, we got to, after January 6th, we've got to not stop, stop talking about this guy. Just unless there's some real piece of hard news, don't talk about him anymore. And on the other hand, the woman who is the CEO of Fox News said about fact checking, one of the bizarre claims that have been made by the Trump group that was totally untrue. Um, she said, basically, our bottom line depends on this. Stop the fact checking. Oh. Run the lies. Um, so does any is any of this explained by the principles in the grand unified theory of everything in the universe, including sex, violence and the human soul? You bet your ass. And I wanted to more of a more of a footnote to earlier in the episode, um, talking about the the uh, the Russian kidnapping of and the de-Ukrainization that doesn't quite roll off the tongue, um, because right, it's it's it is this is you know the Russian mirror. This is the this is the only true that makes me think again of a Muhammad code, right? It is your duty to convert others, otherwise they will be on that roast over the fire and as right. it burns your skin off you will be given skin anew so that you can feel the same pain through all of eternity it's your moral right. and ethical duty to save people from that right so, so again so basically that, one, that sanctioned one, righteousness so you would wonder why i went totally off track no. and wrote the muhammad code because no. it's not off track it's the no. greatest natural experiment on social formation in the modern world um that's available it's the biggest empire in the history of mankind, seven times the size 
of the Roman Empire, 11 times the size of the conquest of Alexander the Great, um, and three times the size, uh, five times the size of the United States. Um, hang on, my throat is going. Um, so um, it is what a Petri dish is to a lab researcher studying microorganisms, Islam is to me. And and does it all work? I mean, do, do all the principles of the Lucifer principle work or did I have to discard any? No, I didn't have to discard any of them because it all fit. And nobody knows, you know, for some reason, we do not teach Islamic history. And if we do mention it, we've been cowed. Islamophobe, yeah, yeah. You so we are cowed it. into saying, "Oh, it was tremendously rich, and it gave us algebra and all kinds of things like that." But its real nature? No, we're not allowed to learn that in the West. We're not allowed to talk about it being a death cult that right. buys pedophilia. Right, and to use one of its favorite phrases, "We love death more than you love life," and not allowed to say that. Um, right, but that is one of the things they say. And Islam is a tree that grows on the blood of severed limbs. Um, yeah. These are common expressions in the Islamist world. Um, and we have to coexist with them because we're not just up against China and Russia and the, uh, and the axis of evil. We're up against Islam, which we knew 10 or 15 years ago because we were being hit with ISIS attacks. ISIS is going relatively quiet in the West, thank God. But it'll be back. Why? Because this war between Islam and the rest of the world, Muhammad himself started it by planning and commanding 57 military campaigns and personally leading 27 of them. That was the beginning of the world's longest running world war. The war before the war of Islam to do what God demands. God made this world out of a blob of mud. He made you and me out of clots of blood. Surely it is our obligation to follow God's law. And the only source of God's law is the Quran and the Hadith. And yeah, and when you, again, it's that sanctioned dopamine. You you go right. and kill these people. It is It is your duty. Not only are you saving them from the fires of hell for eternity, but you yourself, you're safeguarding your position in a jeweled palace full of virgins. Yes, exactly. You get an express ticket to paradise. Well, and for other people, yeah. the, passing yeah. the test to get to paradise or hell is hard. Not for you. Not you for you, baby. Straight. Not for you, baby. Yeah, forget this whole world of, of shitting and sleeping and sunburns and hunger, all these physical ills. You are going to save your brothers from hell. And you, my friend, are going right to the penthouse. What's there right. not to love? What right. You, and you you are you have selfish or not selfish. You have you have righteous violence. This is right. You, you don't have to think twice. There's no no hesitation. You're, you are you are killing the infidels. Go for so right now. The the press is focused. On the internecine strife in Israel, mm -hmm. um, the Israeli right versus the Israeli left about a uh, new so-called reform um, of the judiciary. But what they're failing to cover is the fact that um, Ramadan seems to be the season when all of these jihadist impulses come to the surface and are allowed to come to the surface. 
Ramadan Bamathon. Right. It's it's it, it is um it's the season of jihad, holy war. And don't let anybody fool you telling you that jihad is an internal struggle. It may be that, but that's minor. Um, jihad is built into the religion so the religion can constantly grow. Um, and so Hamas has said that they're going to throw an intifada um, during the month of Ramadan, the month of Passover. Um, and that, and, and the Israelis have got to have their act together um, for this. This is a month of supreme danger um, for Israel. Why? Because Islam is fighting for the position as number one on the pecking order of groups. Russia is fighting for number one, but it was just put down to number two by Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is fighting for number one in the pecking order of groups. And what are they doing it with? These massive agglomerations that we call superorganisms, Russia, China, the United States, the Islamic world, they're using ideas. They're using pictures of the invisible world. And there is a huge invisible world that is real estate for Muslims, but not for you and me. It's the afterlife. Ah. It's the eternity of heaven and hell. That's huge. The Catholic Church used to be the great manipulator of this infinite um, real estate. It's an infinite resource that just like, what was that old uh, philosophical exercise? to show the importance of the burden of proof saying that there is a teapot between us and Mars in its own orbit. And you have to, uh, just because if you, you can't tell me it's not there because you have yet to find it, you'll never <laughs> find it, but you have to find it. No, the burden of proof is on you. you right. It is so, it is so one-sided when you have an infinite credit source to go. Yeah. But eternity. Right. Eternity well, and, and virgins and, and jewels. Well, right. you got to show me some evidence of that. Oh, you simpleton. It's not in this world. And it's like, bro. So what does that have in common with cholesterol or with the <laughs> spirits that make it possible for the Eskimos to yeah. build a successful igloo? Picture of the invisible world. Mm. Um, and this picture works for turning young Islamic men into killers. Yeah. Into conquerors. Okay. I see the time has expired. Oh, shit. I'm, I'm sorry I'm behind on everything i'm sorry i'm i'm no rude. you gave me this opportunity i would never have been able to articulate this without you can you send me a copy of today's i'll send you a video I'll email to you right now okay terrific tommy right. it is wonderful to see you we'll do another one yes we'll sir another challenging topic yes sir howard okay. I, always, I always love talking to you man it's a mental workout and uh I, I wouldn't miss these for the world. I genu I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, enjoy talking to you, and I love you, and I uh, appreciate the advice and wisdom you have bestowed upon me. But enough of this uh, ass kissing. I'll send you a link to this. We'll schedule another one. Till next time, man. Okay, send me the the MP4 itself. Okay, I don't know if I'll be able to do that. I don't know if I can email that. If it's, I can. No, you can do it. Uh, wait, I have a. Do you have like uh, Dropbox or a Google Drive or something? Yeah, I have a Hightail account that lets me do this, but it's me that the Hightail account is attached to. Um, I can send you a link to it, and I'm pretty sure Rumble allows you to download the link, and it's a pretty okay. small size file. I'll figure okay, that out. Okay, that would be great. All, All right. right, have a wonderful whatever number of weeks it is until we see each other again. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Howard Bloom, my friend. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for watching. 